You're listening to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast with Chris and Garrett. We're here for our very last movie for the A Very Stephen King Halloween celebration, even though Halloween was a few days ago. Uh, we wanted to get this last one in as part of the series. And it is the 1997 movie, The Night Flyer, or as the box calls it, Stephen King's The Night Flyer. And uh, what's special about this movie, among, there's a lot of reasons why this may be special, but I think one of the things that I thought was special in us covering this movie is that this was shot in North Carolina. This was shot in Wilmington back in the mid to late 90s. I think it was around 96, 96, 97. Um, and uh, there's a, a little personal disclosure. I know we touched on this. I think you and I've talked about this before, but uh, when this movie was being shot in Wilmington, I was working on a film being shot in central North Carolina in a little town called Yanceyville. And there were crew members <clears throat> on the movie I was working on who either had worked on the night flyer, had done like a little bit of work or they knew people on it. And apparently over the course, like we were shooting at the same time and we had a very similar shooting schedule, I think, um, where we had like a month, uh, actually a night flyer. I think they had 30 days to film the movie. And, uh, Mark Pavia, who's the director, he actually got it in a day early. So, which, which for a, a small film like this, small budget film, I mean, kudos to him because usually these small films, especially with these special effects, which this movie has actually got some, some good special effects, uh, to get it in a day early is impressive, but it was shooting while we were shooting our movie. And there was this kind of ongoing back and forth of like, which movie is the worst <laughs> because both were low budget. Both apparently had problems of various kinds and so there was kind of this running bet between crew members, um, or at least people that were working on the film I was working on, who you know had that connection with the Night Flyer. Were like, but I think in the end, our, our movie was worse. <laughs> so um, <laughs> because right. watching this movie again this past week, it's like, yeah, this this is like Oscar <clears throat> Oscar winning award winning film compared to ours ours was definitely uh i mean not even direct to video would want it um but but anyway um so yeah so we wanted to to cover the night flyer and um uh, i saw this movie when it came out on video back in 97 just because like the history that i just mentioned and i remembered really liking it for miguel ferrer's performance uh and and had forgotten that the special effects in this were really were pretty good for a low budget film and then i realized who worked on those special effects it's greg nicotero and his um k and b um fx group you know for those of you who aren't familiar which I, I would assume most of you are greg nicotero is really the kind of the makeup genius behind the walking dead uh he's worked on a bunch of other films um more recently uh Nick Tarantino Tar films right didn't what's that then the De Quentin Tarantino films um yeah I believe he did yes I believe so um he also worked with George Romero on some of Romero's last films before he passed away uh but one of the more recent things that he's done actually it kind of 
it's still in the realm of special effects, but uh, he was involved in the restoration of one of the original uh, shark bodies that was used in Jaws. And uh, wow. that model, like he basically, I, I think he helped finance the restoration of it. And um, it's now, that that model is now hanging in the um, Muse Museum of Motion Picture uh, Arts and Sciences in uh, Los Angeles. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you look it up, I mean, it's, the restoration they did on it was incredibly impressive. It looks better than it did in the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, they did a great job on it. But anyway, yeah, so Greg Nicotero did the, the makeup, special effects his group did. Uh, and and it's really good. I was surprised at like some of the gore in the movie. I was like, wow, this was a lot better than I remembered it being. But uh, but yeah, so um, we've got a little bit of a, a structure here like I, I just sent you. Um, and this is... If for those who listened to last week's episode, we I think we had a lot of fun because <clears throat> the episode we did on the dead zone, I actually uh, fed it into an AI just because I wanted to see what it would recommend. And it was really just more of something for fun. Uh, and what it produced was actually kind of funny. So I thought, well, what if I applied the same thing to the Night Flyer? So it came up with some surprisingly very thoughtful kind of segments. And I've, um, I mean, we've kind of just talk generally about the movie but these segments really get more specific so um i had sent you the list just a minute ago garrett so but what i didn't send is what the ai had suggested for each for each one well that's okay you could yeah surprise me i like yeah. it yeah i wanted you to be surprised because some of these are pretty funny so for our kind of our intro section here uh it said um Start with some lighthearted banter about the movie, like debating who would win in a race, a vampire pilot or a werewolf with jetpacks. Vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, werewolf. I mean, it just doesn't. Yeah. Just, that, now, that's another movie. I, you know, a werewolf on a jetpack. That's uh, yeah, Reverend, Reverend Lowe, since we're doing this, Reverend, Reverend Lowe on a jetpack. Yeah. There's okay, your fine. silver bullet, too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's there's a sequel for you. <laughs> oh, I think that's great. That's great. Well, you so, know, yeah. this movie, this, yeah, I, was looking, I, I was looking this up that, I mean, this is, I mean, I, I just thought of, a, I thought of a sequel idea. Mm hmm. Which was that that comes down later, but but this movie came out. Uh, it was interrupted by Hurricane Bertha. In That's Wilmington. right. Yes. And, which I just I just I just double checked the dates to make sure, and it 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 equals up. I mean it it's, it says it was filmed in between July to August in of ninety six, which you just talked about me in the, that the, yep. that ninety six year. Yeah. And I looked up. Bertha and Bertha came through July, I think July 5th mm -hmm. through right now. It's not one I got here. It's July. That's right. Hold on. It was just here. Come on. That's right. And you know, I remember like so we're in central July we 5th shooting. through July 14th. That's yeah. that's kind of the time frame. So and we I was shooting. living in Wilmington at that time frame, which is wild because this is one of the few movies, like the other movies we talked about, I lived in Wilmington when I was in college and that stuff. It was after all the Stephen King movies that have been filmed that we've we done yeah. the Cat's Eye, you know, Maximum Drive, whatever, Silver Bullet. That was all pre-me coming to, to coming to Wilmington to go to college. This is actually one movie that was actually filmed while I was actually living in the area. So even though I didn't know anything about it, uh, you you know more a lot more about it at the time frame than I knew about it, but I'm just saying. It, but it actually, I was like, oh, 
Ah, I was I was mm-hmm. living there during this time frame. So so it's kind of it's kind of cool. Yeah. But a hurricane would be really cool about for a sequel idea, by the way. So yeah. Yeah. No, I I um I remember, you know, being in central North Carolina at the time shooting our film. Um we got a lot of rain. I remember that. And I remember it really derailed a lot of the filming that we were doing because so much of it was outside. And uh I just remember there were like yeah, there's about a week where it was like everything was soggy and muddy and, you know, just horrendous. <laughs> um, well, what, what was wild is that Hurricane Fran came next. Yep. Now, it came it came at the end. It came at the end of August. Which yep. This happened at the beginning of July. So the movie mm-hmm. was already finished. You know, they're filming. But yeah, like the, we, we had two bad hurricanes back to back. I mean, like within like a month to month, the next month. Yeah. Yeah, it was Hurricane Bertha and then Hurricane Fran. And Hurricane Fran was so bad because all the you just mentioned it, all the rain that had come down in Bertha had yeah. made the ground it's like all those trees were saturated. Like the like the whole ground. I mean, even though it was like almost a month later, almost it's like so yeah. when it's, Fran came through, it just knocked trees over left and right and pulled them up, pulled them up by their roots. It was just it was a, it was a, it was amazing how what, what yeah. the destruction was. Oh, it was. Um, and, you know, it's so funny how we're talking about this because so we wrapped on our film. Uh, it was like the end of end of July, uh, middle of July. And then I started working right after that for that video game company in Cary. And so I went from the film I was working on and I moved back in with my folks and worked in Cary at the video game company. And I remember not being able to get to work because everything shut down when, when, when Fran hit. And I remember my parents' neighborhood, several trees, just like what you were saying, the ground was still so you know soggy that when Fran came along, a bunch of trees fell across the, the road in my parents' neighborhood. And I remember um, walking with my dad from our house all the way to the end of our neighborhood. And you know, like where, where I lived walking out to the end of Lakeview, that was a long walk. And we, we came across at least two or three trees that had fallen over. But fortunately, um, you know, we were kind of, you know, being out there in the suburbs, some people had chainsaws and so they were able to clear it out quickly, but, but yeah, that brings back memories. Um, yeah, just all that craziness that was going on with the hurricanes. Um, so, yeah, well, you know, I just remembered something I wanted to ask you, and I want to make sure we talked about it. So for snacks tonight, you actually have a snack oh, yes. that's one of my childhood favorites. And it, I was I was actually a little envious when you sent me the photo because I was like, oh, I haven't seen those in years. Yep. The Star Crunch. Star Crunch. I thought, trying to think of something that was Night Flyer. Yep. We could go with Starburst. Starburst would work. <laughs> but you know, but what's something you'll see when you, the night flyer was flying? What would the night flyer see? Stars, and then I guess he's, the, he's the he's the he's the crunch baby. <laughs> I, I like I, I give you an A plus for the 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 thought and effort that went into that. <laughs> Thank I, you. I'm I'm going for a solid C plus with mine. Um, I went with healthier options, so I chose this brand called Bear. It's like baked, like it's basically freeze dried fruit. Um, well, hey, that's the old lady in the movie who who was pretty much got all pretty, for, got all pretty for the 
Oh, dude, the... I so I so want to talk about her. Like, we there's some stuff coming she, up. She let she was almost bare for him. That's what. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, when you see what these really look like, <laughs> I mean, it looks like a potato chips all wrinkled up and everything. It's well, that looks like her. There we go. Kind of looks like... <laughs> Same. I, you know, hey, have you seen that meme? that's been going around where it's got the old lady with this guy and they're singing. She's going like, taste the biscuit. You know, the <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't know what the song is, but she's like singing about a biscuit and about honey sauce and stuff. Every time that woman in the movie showed up, all I could think about, all I could hear is that woman going, taste the biscuit. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, taste the biscuit. but yeah, that, that uh, I, I want to talk about that lady, but um but also, in addition to the dried fruit, I also have some white cheddar popcorn. So I kind of went somewhat healthy, but, you know, it's not Star Crunch. So uh, you definitely win that one. Um, not that there's a competition, but if, if we were competing, you would definitely win on snacks tonight because Star Crunch is a far better choice. I can't, um, and I can't wait to eat it. So yeah, you if, can't if, go wrong with. You hear bit. a little crunch, crunch. Well, you know it's mm -hmm. good. That's all good. Well, seriously, this fruit. Um, usually, when we have snacks, I try to keep it quiet. Like I'll mute myself sometimes if something's crunchy. <laughs> but but I actually want. I hope this picks up because these things. It's freeze dried fruit, so it's basically apples and strawberries, and it's very you know it's good. It's healthy snack, but this thing is so loud. I don't know if you can hear that. No, not really. So you're good. You're good. You're gonna be fine. We're I don't good. know what it's gonna like. It's extremely loud. Um, so yeah, those were our snacks for our midnight movie snack. Um, so let's jump into the movie. So the the first the first kind of real segment here that it's got is uh what has been called creepy aviation corner. Um so this is what the AI said for this section and we can take it or leave it. I kind of laughed at something it added. Um, it says fly into the eerie skies with Dr Dwight Renfield and see if you'd board his vampiric Cessna for a night flight. And then in parentheses, spoiler, Chris is a definite no. So it's already, it's like making determinations about, you know, how we're going to react. Um, it says, let's soar with the vampire pilot and appreciate the makeup magic from K&B FX that brought Dwight Renfield to life. And then in parentheses, or the afterlife. So, yeah, it's being a little corny, but anyway, um, creepy aviation corner. This, um, I think I mentioned this to you when we were talking about the stuff we've been doing this month and everything. And I had read the short story that um the movie's based on which is also called the night flyer and i've actually read two versions of the short story and i i'm sure that there are probably some fans of stephen king's work out there and, and i'm hoping that if somebody's listening to this that they can confirm but i haven't been able to track down the the first version of the story i read which was in an anthology uh that came out i think in the late 80s and it was one that I read. Um, it was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in college. And I, I know we've talked about this before. Um, yeah, I remember that summer. I was uh, I was in Burnsville, North Carolina, up in the mountains, and I was working with um, UNC Greensboro. Um, they had a summer repertory theater up there, 
And so that summer I was working like backstage. I was doing sets, props, all kinds of stuff, working backstage for the summer repertory, which meant a lot of downtime. So I filled that downtime with reading. And there was a Dollar General uh, there in Burnsville, because this was back in the day. This is before Burnsville became, I mean, I think it's become a little bit of a, because it's right outside of Asheville, and Asheville has kind of undergone this kind of hippie transformation of sorts. But back then, <laughs> you know, back then Burnsville was like, if you wanted civilization, you had to go to Asheville. Like, and it was like 45 minutes away, if I remember correctly. But um, but they had a Dollar General. And in the Dollar General, they had a, um, um, basically they had like these paperback novel rack. And it, most of it was just garbage. But they had this one horror anthology and I saw Stephen King listed on it, so I was like, I'm there. You know, Stephen King, bring it on. And the Night Flyer was in that collection, and I remember loving the short story um, and thinking that, wow, this is a really gory story. Well, fast forward to, I don't know, about 10 years later or so, uh, King re-releases the short story in one of his short story collections. I think it was Nightmares and Dreamscapes. And the story had been edited. Like uh, it had removed a couple of things. One, it seemed like the level of gore had been dialed down. And then also the original story, if I remember correctly, uh, King made it very clear in the story how much he hated. Like even though he's he's not commenting himself, I think through Richard Dees' character, he's basically commenting on about how terrible the airport in Wilmington, North Carolina was. Because apparently right. real life King had some issues with the airport or something. Well, that also got scrubbed a little bit from the second version of the story. So anyway, that's my memory of it. Um, but I remember loving the story. And then when I heard that they were making it into a movie, um, like most times, whenever I'd hear there was news of an adaptation, I was on board. You know, I always enjoyed most of the Stephen King adaptations um, in film and television. So uh so, yeah, so um, that was kind of how I came to this, you know, having read the story and, you know, really, again, you know, King is so good at coming up with a kind of a twist on kind of the old classic monster kind of thing and making a vampire who's also a pilot who flies around and basically claims victims in these small little airports all over the country. I thought was kind of an, an an interesting concept, and then also added to it, you know, you've got the Richard D's character, this this tabloid journalist, uh, who also appears in the Dead Zone novel. Uh, he's the Which reporter. Cool. That's who, a neat. That's a neat. Yeah, he's the reporter that interviews Johnny Smith and tries to get him to come work for the magazine, uh, the the tabloid that he writes for, Inside View. So, uh, so yeah, so that was kind of my introduction to to the movie. That's where I kind of came to this movie, you know, with um, appreciation for the short story and just loving the fact that it was shot in Wilmington, you know, home state. Um, and and then also um, just the idea of this, you know, like having a vampire who fly literally flies around. He doesn't turn into a bat. He just gets in a plane and flies around to get his victims. So, uh, so yeah, I'm curious to know what were your just thoughts. Wild. I don't know. That's just, yeah, that's just, it's a weird premise. That's all I got to say. Yeah. 
Now, had you seen this before? I had actually, I actually, because um, my friend Sawyer, I mentioned Sawyer before, you know, Silver mm-hmm. Bullet stuff and whatever yep. we met we doing film locations. He he's the one. He's the one that told me. He goes, "Hey, have you ever watched this before?" And he sends me like the link, and it was on YouTube, and I'm which is how I watched it this time. And mm-hmm. I was like, "No, I didn't." And he and he goes, "Hey, man, this is filmed in Wilmington as well." And I was like, "I didn't." And you had mentioned something about like this movie, but I didn't. But I didn't. I didn't know the connection. I really didn't at the time when you first mentioned it. I didn't know that whatever. And I just I was like I was just totally surprised. So I, I watched a little bit of it then. I didn't finish it, and then I, so I went. So when so when you brought this up, I was like, yes, 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 yes. Let's do this. And so no, I had not seen it until like maybe a, six months ago, a year ago, something mm-hmm. like that. I watched a little bit of it then, and then I watched it. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously just recently watched yeah. it all the way through, just so I could have a really good understanding. Well, you know, you mentioned watching it on YouTube. That's how I watched it, um, and it's really surprising because it's not available on any streaming platforms, not even the free ones like Tubi or Pluto TV or Plex, and usually those. I mean, if you go to those services, they've usually got so many just trash garbage movies that aren't even worth watching. And I just thought it was strange that not even the Night Flyer is on those. Um, So it's like really, as I was mentioning earlier on Instagram this week, you know, without naming it, but yeah, it's like YouTube is the only place that I've been able to find where you can watch the movie. And I did start to look into like, dvds and i know you can get it um it's still available in dvd form uh but and there's also apparently um as with a lot of the movies that we cover there's a bit of a cult following for this movie and and it definitely it it is definitely i I consider it a cult film um you know it's it it definitely kind of hits those kind of cult classics where it's low budget it's not not maybe the greatest movie, but it's got a lot of charm. It's got a lot of features that I think when you put it together, it's like, yeah, this is, this is a fun experience. Um, but, uh, Oh, there he goes for the star crunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to see if I can track them down tomorrow. I'm going to have to have one. It's hard to find those around here. I, you know, <laughs> I'll give you a bite through Food yeah. line, food line, food. No, my local food line had it. So, ah, uh, yeah, food line is usually the place to go for uh, little Debbie's. Um, those hoity-toity grocery stores kind of look down at little diabetes. <laughs> little diabetes, <laughs> diabetes. Oh, um, but yeah. So, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to distract you. I, no, I, no, no, not at all. So, so yeah, so this, this idea of this movie is, you know, I think it was an interesting concept. You know, there are some Stephen King premises that, you know, sometimes you're like, mm, you know, but this is one that I think it worked really well for a short story. And so when I heard they were making it into a movie, I was like, that's going to be a short film because the story is not that long. Um, but what they did with like a lot of adaptations based on short stories, they expanded it. So they they added um, the the biggest addition for the movie is the addition of uh, Catherine, the uh, reporter who is kind of following in Richard Deese's footsteps. You know, she's like the new reporter for Inside View. And um, and let me just comment about her character. So Catherine. So that's played by this actress. 
uh, Juliet Whistle. And I checked her credits. She's only done like a couple of things. That's it, uh, too. But, but when I saw her, my first thought was she looks like Phoebe Cates' sister. Like she could have played Phoebe Cates' sister if they had ever done something together. And I got to say, for this being her first movie, um, I was impressed. I thought she did a good job. Um, in fact, you know, I think the fact that you know it's your first movie and you're starring opposite Miguel Ferrer, who I have always enjoyed ever since. Like my first memory of him was RoboCop. He had the small part in RoboCop, and yep. and I think he's a terrific actor. Uh, you know, he went on to do a bunch of stuff. Um, he also oh. was a was a really talented voice actor. Um, he did some voices for some cartoons. He also for a for a time um was a uh, movie trailer voice um he did yeah, some that. movie trailer stuff because he had just such a great kind of deep kind of gravelly kind of sounding voice uh but also i found out i was doing some research on miguel um and this is a perfect transition because one of the segments here is uh entitled ferrer's fantastic performance um is an opportunity just to talk about his performance in this movie but I found out in the course of doing research on him, he has a famous cousin. Oh, and, yeah. Very yeah. famous. Yeah. Famous, famous. Yeah. So Miguel Ferrer's dad is Jose Ferrer, who was also an actor. And his right. mom is Rosemary Clooney, <gasps> who is the aunt of George Clooney. And so... Oh. Uh, so, but what was interesting... From, from Facts out, Alive, people. That's, that's yeah. what he's... That's what he's... Yeah, that's him. Yep. That's... Yep. Yeah, George, it. I think. Yeah, that's yeah, it. That's George. what he's famous for. That's what, no, no, nothing else. This fact's yeah, of life. Kinda, I wonder yep. what happened to him because he was really good. I, he, he, he kind of went downhill after that. Facts of life yeah. where he peaked. He peaked yeah. really good right there. And then he kind of did some other, he did yeah. some kind of like, I don't know, some some crappy, I don't know, yeah. like a medical show. Like Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah. ER, it, it, yeah. that was full of crap. I mean, that yeah. was that. He did some crappy movies, show. like some B movies, like Oceans. I don't know. Ocean's crap. Ocean's crap too. Look him up sometimes. Yeah, I kind of lost touch with him after Facts of Life, but yeah. So that's that's his cousin, and apparently they were really close. When when um, Miguel passed away uh, in 2017, unfortunately, um, he had cancer, and um, at his uh, memorial service, I think uh, Clooney delivered a eulogy or or spoke at it, and. you know, it was just interesting to hear him talk about him, you know, his cousin and just, uh, but yeah, Miguel is just terrific actor. And in talking about this movie, you know, you look up anything about the night flyer and you don't get far into it without somebody saying Miguel Ferrer is amazing in this movie. It's a terrific performance. And I, I really, I I'm inclined to agree. I think if you had anybody else in this movie, I don't think this movie would have done as well uh, as it did. Um, it like he no, really think, no, sells no, it. yeah he brought us he brought it i mean a lot of movies like that people don't i, I don't think i don't think a lot of actors bring their a game i think he yeah. brought his a game he totally did and 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 i gotta say um you know there's some actors because i've seen this i've seen some actors who are what i would consider top caliber actors and they get put in a project in a movie like this where maybe the script isn't so good or the direction is, you know, a little less than it could be. Um, and they kind of lower their 
their standard somewhat. Like they're kind of like, I'm just going to phone this in. I'm not going to really right. give it a mile. That's not the case with Miguel. I feel like Miguel, and it's interesting because going back to Clooney, the eulogy he delivered for Miguel, he said that Miguel never did anything halfway, basically, is what he was saying, more or less. I'm summarizing it very badly, but he just basically said everything Miguel did, he did wholeheartedly. Like he he was always committed to everything. And I think it's really clear in this. And I think he elevates this movie. Like he comes in with his A game, you know, and just delivers a great performance. You know, and the thing about it is it's like he's so good that even if this movie had had 10 times the budget, you know, had uh, Oscar winning screenwriters, had a Oscar winning or award winning director. Um, I think his performance, it still would, I mean, it's like, it would still be solid. It wouldn't be that like those things would affect his performance. It's just, he, he went into this and you see it like everything he does, like he doesn't cheap out. He gives it his all. And, and I think, watching it again this week it just made me appreciate him even more in his performance even more um which makes it all the the more sad that miguel's no longer here and also spoiler um you know d's uh comes to an untimely end at the end of this movie and uh really makes me wish that had there been a sequel that somehow he could have been in it but um but yeah vampire blood or something yeah exactly that's right you know what that's a good point um it can happen that is, that is because yeah that's what that's what uh renfield does he like cuts his he wrist because he does have sick from the blood and he's drink. like he yeah. said we're like we're like brothers i mean yeah you know whatever it's a it's yep. possible yeah so yeah and, and i remember from going back to the short story um d's in the short story i mean he is kind of the main character of it um and he he has the same kind of things that Dees has in the movie like he's he's just got his ethics are questionable he's just you know he doesn't have tolerance for anybody you know he's kind of hard drinking hard smoking um you know all the things that that Ferrer does in this role um but what's great about it is is that even as bad as as Dees is in the movie Ferrer makes you care about it Ferrer makes you you know, root for him in a sense, even though when, you know, towards the end of the movie where he's kind of like, okay, he's, he's going to some dark places here. It's like, even up to the last scene, you're just like, you want him to get out of the situation. You don't want him to, you know, come to the, to the conclusion that he comes to, but, um, and can I just mention, like, we haven't talked about this at all, but, uh, Were you surprised that Pee Wee showed up? In, not Pee Wee Herman, but Pee Wee from Porky's showed up in this. Yeah, that was. Uh, I was like, "What was that?" Dan. Uh, Dan was it Monahan? That's correct. That's the name. Yeah. So I looked him up too because I was just like, other than Porky's, the Porky's movies, you know. And then I think he did one movie with Judd uh, Nelson, um, from The Hip. It was a legal comedy. I think he. I think Dan was in that. This is the only other movie I know of Dan being in. In fact, I remember when I saw this back in 97, I was like, Pee-wee's still acting. <laughs> you know, but I don't think he's done, really done anything since. But yeah, it was I don't yeah, surprised. I don't I, I don't it would be neat if he would like make the make some certain, you know, like make this Comic Cons or something like that. Yeah, it would. I'm sure he would be. I mean, this he would be totally. 
yeah sold out I mean, probably if we if we met him at a convention we'd probably be the only one saying man we loved you in the, the night flyer he's like, like y'all know me coming up about porkies like, he goes what's, what's porkies and i'm like hmm. that would be that'd be funny that would be yeah so um yeah it's an interesting cast but but yeah definitely i think miguel ferrer just he makes this movie I don't think the oh, movie yes. nearly I mean, he, is good was, without him. You know, he was very believable. I think it, you know, like when he was flying the plane, I mean, like, or you know, acting like he was flying the plane. Mm-hmm. I thought, I thought that was very believable. I thought he was. I mean, like the whole. I mean, you, you bought that he was. He has a very commanding presence about him, and I yeah. think he he really he he. I mean, he's a good. Obviously, he's a good actor. He he sold he sold me on the fact that you know he was really flying the plane, and he's like calling in his call sign and. You know, hey, Wilmington, tell me about his, you know, like, do you have a so-and-so flyer? Da, 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 da. You know, he's just doing it. And I was like, it's, he, he got it. I mean, I mean, I'm not a pilot or anything, but I'm just like, he, he faked it well enough for me. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll believe you. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I also recognized there were a couple of actors in this that were you know, local acting talent. Like the one, the mechanic, the older gentleman that uh, oh, he did, had a great he, main accent. That was fantastic. He did. He had a good main accent. I forget that guy's name, but um, I actually worked on a production where I was working for that video game company that I believe he had a small part in. Um, I don't remember his name, but I remember he was, and I remember seeing him on some of the TV shows that were shot down here. Like I think he was in an episode of Dawson's Creek. Um, I don't remember his name, and I meant to look it up, but um. Maybe Matlock or something. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, he was, one for he was kind of a mainstay. He was one of those local Wilmington act, or maybe, I don't know if he was in Wilmington, but I remember he was in a lot of Wilmington productions. I know sometimes when you'd have local actors, I mean, local could mean. John, John Benes. Benes. Yeah. 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 He worked on one of the projects that I worked on in that video game company when we were. Shooting oh yeah, he did because video. he was in he he worked in I know what you did last summer, which was filmed down there. He mm-hmm. he was in Weekend at Bernie's, which was filmed mm-hmm. down there. So you know yeah. who he was in Weekend at Bernie's? No, ah, uh, I just don't even. He's he's the effeminate, uh, like the the older effeminate guy who hits on Andrew McCarthy. No way. Mm-hmm. That's him. That's him. Oh my <laughs> gosh, it would not have even put the two together. That is. Amazing, He's an extremely versatile actor, and I'm I'm sorry, you said his name was John John Benes Benes Benes. I don't know how you said B E N E S. Let me take a look at it. I meant to do this earlier. Ask Ask Chat GPT to pronounce his name for me, please. I'm not asking Chat GPT for a lot of stuff though, but um, only only stuff just to get a funny response. Yeah, dude, he 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 just died in 2018 himself. That's a real shame. And he was on he was on an episode of you're right Dawson's Creek and Matlock. <laughs> I was like John Bennis, yes. So, let's see. Yeah, he has he's got a really impressive filmography. I mean, he's got a lot of stuff here. Um but yeah, he worked on one of the full motion video video games that I worked on. I want to say he was He was in The Patriot. He was in The Legend of Bagger Dick. That's right. Dawson's Creek, October Sky. I'm just. I know what you did last summer. Yep. Old man, that he says the Night Flyer, obviously. Uh, 
But yeah, he did. Oh, hold on, mate. There's more. Let's see. How long have he been says, doing this? So it so says one, he, di- he died in Massachusetts. But I know I saw that. I was like, oh, the young, all oh, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which a lot of those there's there's quite a few of those filmed in Wilmington as well. Yeah. People don't. Children of the Corn too, which was filmed in North Carolina. So right, right yeah. close to me here. It's filmed out here in um uh, not Saxapah, but uh it's close by. It's filmed yeah. close by here. It's it's I live really close to the Children of the Corn too location. Yeah. Yeah, he it looks like he um looks like the last movie I see here listed was 2002. Um Dude, it yeah. says he was. This is wild. Now I know this is. This is. I have to look this up. This would be amazing. It says he was in an episode of the Adventures of Superman, one episode in nineteen fifty eight. Hmm. That I mean, I love that George George Reeves stuff, man. That's that, oh, yeah. that, really, that early Superman. I love that TV show. Like, oh yeah, same here. Obviously, I mean, in reruns and whatever. Oh, absolutely. But dude, let's see. Okay, he was in. I led three lives, Highway Patrol, Climax, uh, a man called X. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not Elon Musk, by the way, people. That's a that's an early series. Uh, <laughs> Ransom, and then the first the first thing he was ever in was called the was called the Cobweb in nineteen fifty five. That was his very first hmm. thing that was listed here. But yeah. that's an interesting that's an interesting uh, biography of work, man. He's, Absolutely, yeah. Man. So, and and like you said. Um, you know, watching it again this week, I was really impressed with his main accent. Like I felt like as soon as I saw him, I recognized him from other things. Um, and, and the, like the project that I mentioned, I worked on. Um, and I just remember thinking, yeah, he was a very professional actor. Like, I mean, he, you know, some actors, you know, have kind of ego where it's like, if I don't have a big role, then, you know, I'm, going to have an attitude about it but he was so professional i remember thinking and also just um very prolific you know doing a lot of different things and you know he he's he's that caliber of actor very similar to you know some folks that we interviewed a couple years ago Lori Lindbergh and barry bell where you know they're not well known but they've got an impressive you know resume of projects where you know they come in they do their part they're dependable they're reliable and they get it done um and i definitely think uh, john bennis was 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 one of those so yeah so is yeah, that you'd be, be interested to talk to talk to lori uh again and, a, she and would, ask about she would know john him. yeah because yeah because the scene and barry i mean obviously barry too but i mean she was that scene has John in it. So True, that's right. Would, the scene that she was in there. With, that's right. She would know John, um, yeah. and and given everything that he's done, I'm sure their paths crossed. You know, hers oh. and and Barry's and John's. Do want, yeah. yeah, I mean, because because the, like the whole local, the whole local actor thing there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, the next segment is entitled Unearth the Night Flyer. And this says, explore the film's dark and brooding atmosphere with a segment detour into why airports are eerie, even without vampires. Now, (laughs) I've never been to the Wilmington Airport, and I know that it's gone through some updates and renovations since King first wrote this short story back in the 80s. Uh, 
But um, you know, I I it's interesting. I, I have been in a few airports in my time, as I know you have, but I probably the eeriest experience I ever had was not in a small airport like one in Wilmington or any of these small airports that are shown in the movie. Uh, it's actually LAX. So I was in Los Angeles several years, many, many years back, and there were brush fires going on. And I had spo- I was supposed to take a flight. I think my flight was supposed to be going out at like 10 o'clock at night. I was doing the red eye. And the brush fires had created so much smoke that I sat in LAX from about 8.30 in the evening till about, we finally got on the plane at about 1 a.m., I think. And it was, there were some parts of the airport, because, you know, just sitting around waiting for, to get the go ahead. So I was walking around the airport, just trying to kill some time. And there were parts of LAX where there was just like nobody around. And it was just kind of creepy because it's like I'd been in Los Angeles for about a week and, you know, Los Angeles, busy city, a lot going on. Got to LAX. It was busy when I got there. But then, you know, about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, things just started to kind of die down because people had either decided, well, I'm not flying out tonight, so I'm just going to go home. And then a group of folks who were like, no, I got to get out of here. So I'm just going to wait and see what happens. Um. I just remember the airport was really quiet and really creepy. And there were some places where that was like the only person walking through. And so just, yeah. So like thinking about this movie and about the setting, it's like, yeah, I could see, you know, there's some airports, especially some of these smaller ones, probably at night be a little creepy. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. I've been, I've, it's, I'm trying to think about, you know, it's weird. I I have two memories. I have one when I was, uh, my grandparents lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and mm-hmm. when I was so this is like late seventies, and I remember we flew in a couple times to Chattanooga for it was because we lived different. That's a whole another backstory, but that's for another time. But make it just that I I remember. I, I remember that like the feel of the airport in the seventies is different than the feel of the airport, even in the eighties or mm-hmm. even currently it's like yeah. the feel, the feel from the eighties is almost more current than, but the something about the seventies was it, it. It's almost like the way when you look at it in movies and TV shows that almost is the way living it felt the same way. And it's like, yeah. it was, it's like, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of strange, but I have, I have, I have memories of, like the airport has had that, you know, like the old Eastern League or Eastern League, like the old Eastern logo, uh, Pan oh, yeah. Am. It's like there was just something like very 70ish about it. So I can, so like when you look at Firestarter, which is the first movie filmed in Wilmington, and they that's the first time they filmed in the Wilmington airport ever. And it shows inside. That's kind of how I remember, like the like like the Chattanooga Airport, because it probably wasn't as big as yeah. like a like Charlotte or Atlanta or a place like that. And so it's like I remember it looking. So like you get a good glimpse of what the Wilmington Airport looked like if you look back in, the, in that in that movie, nineteen eighty four, uh, Firestarter. You could see it, and so that's kind of that has that eerie feeling. Of course, you know, you got Drew Barrymore setting you know setting somebody's. Uh, you know, boots on fire. I mean, that kind of <laughs> gives it a, a whole nother twist. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's 
yeah, that that would be mine. Uh, that just, but 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 I actually do remember like that seventies feel going on, and it, it was exactly. scary, scary. It wasn't scary. It just has this. This had a. It just had a very, I don't seventies feel to it, you know, yeah. which has a very kind of in itself. I, I I wouldn't say it's spooky. It's just you know maybe a little psychedelic. I don't know, but yeah. Well, it's. I just remember in the 70s and 80s compared to today, just how different it was. Like, I remember before I ever flew, the first time I ever flew with my folks, this shows you how different things were back then. Um, I remember my parents and me going to Raleigh-Durham Airport, and we were actually able to go into the airport through security, even though we weren't flying anywhere. We were just going into the airport because my parents thought it would be a good idea to, for both me and my sister to see the air, airplane, see them take off, but also, you know, just to kind of prepare us for what we were going to be doing, like flying. And also it was kind of like, a, almost like a little field trip we were taking. Well, we get there. There's none of the security like they have today. I mean, you. I think we walked through a metal detector, but it was just kind of like, walk through, okay, you're good, keep on going. They didn't ask what we were doing, where we were going. They didn't look at board. They didn't ask for boarding passes or any of that stuff. No ID check or anything. We go up to a gate where it was Eastern Airlines, and it was the gate where the flight that was going to Orlando, because our first trip was going to be going down to Orlando to Walt Disney World. And we go up to the counter and, you know, my parents, I, I don't remember what they said, but basically like, yeah, our, we're going to be going on our first family trip, you know, in a couple of weeks. And we were in the area and we thought our kids, you know, want, you know, wanted to see the airport. And the lady was like, well, the plane, like we've just, everybody's off the plane. We're just getting it, you know, cleaned up and everything. She's like, but I can take you down there if you want to see the cockpit and meet the pilot. And so here we are, my sister, me, and my parents, we get to get on board the plane. We're not even flying out. We're just we're just visiting the airport. And the lady just kind of like, oh, well, you know, like, she, I guess she was thinking, oh, well, because you know, I was young. My sister was like a toddler. And it was like, she thought, well, you know, let me just show them what the plane looks like, what the pilot's like, you know, so that any kind of worries or whatever you know, you can just kind of help them kind of settle them or get them acclimated to it. So she took us onto the plane and the pilot was sitting in the cockpit and he like talked to us for like five minutes and then gave me and my sister the little plastic like wings, like the little pin for us to wear. And the pilot, I remember him saying to us like, now you be sure to wear that when you fly. And then that tells us that you're a special guest or whatever. And, you know, it was just kind of like whatever they said to, to help us feel, you know, like kind of excited about the flight, which but I, mean, that's I cool, love though. the flight. That's cool yeah, I had, the that. funny thing is I wasn't even, I mean, I was looking forward to the flight. I wasn't like, you know, I guess some kids are probably a little afraid of flying, you know, at first. But no, I was like, on. I'm like, yeah, I want to fly. But um. That was, yeah, was just crazy. Like you were saying about how different things were back then. It's like, yeah, before 9-11, you know, and I'm sorry for all the flashing going on. I've actually got the Night Flyer movie up. I've just got the volume off because I was letting it play just to see if it sparked anything. So right now it's like the flashing where he comes into the airport and there are all the dead bodies. So it's yeah. like the strobe effect. It was kind of like, okay. 
<laughs> but anyway, yeah. So that was gives uh, you a cool uh, visual, man. You're looking looking awesome. <laughs> it's like the paparazzi taking photos. Well, that's what he was doing constantly in the movie. That's the mm-hmm. only weird thing is like he would just like take people would be like just take take somebody's picture like right in their face. Like oh yeah, yeah. He didn't care. It's like dead people. Yeah, I'll take a photo of them. Yeah, he's yeah. Yeah, that airport scene is like it and this this is the perfect transition. So the next segment uh is about Mark Pavia, the director. So director spotlight. So um this was his first feature film. Uh prior to this, he had done a, a, a movie short that a short film that Stephen King saw and apparently loved. I think that might have had something to do with how Mark got the chance to direct this Uh, as a first time director, you know, I think there are definitely some flaws and there's some choices that he makes as a director. Like there's one thing I just have to mention. There's a scene you'll know. I'm pretty sure you'll know what I'm talking about where it's not long after Catherine has met Richard and she's in the office with him and she's got a plane ticket. She's going to fly to go investigate the story. And she gets mad and tears up the ticket. And yeah. It up into the air. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's this slow motion shot from above looking down at them. And I just remember thinking like, this is like, what this just feels like, this is not right for this movie. <laughs> like what, who, like, yeah, it just, it's one of those shots where it just felt like, I don't know. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I thought the same thing. I was like, (laughs) like, what what is this? A music video or something? Yeah. It's like, but the, 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 so that's something I would put in the minus column, the plus column. And there's a lot of pluses in here. I think the director did a great job. And it's clear to me that he really used the short story um, to fuel this, this movie. There's a lot of details in this. Um, there's the one where uh, D's when he pulls the necklace out of the guy's mouth and it's a cross. I believe that was in the first version of the short story I read. It might have been in the second one too. And then there's the other one where the eyeball is sitting on the bag of chips. Do you remember that one? It's like the guy's there. He's like missing an eye. And so he looks over and sees the eyeballs on the bag of chips. That was in the short story. It was a bag of cheese doodles that the eye was sticking to. But that, but so like there's little details from the short story that he puts in the movie, not to mention those Easter eggs that I mentioned on Instagram this week, the, the different covers of inside view were all like these Easter eggs referencing other King stories, which I've got a, a funny postscript to that. Yeah, I couldn't see, I had a hard time now. I mean, yeah, I that, hard time. part of the problem is the video quality right. of the YouTube movie, which is what I pulled those from. It's just not that good. But uh, that's why I provided the details in the caption. Like, it's like you can't really see it in the video, unfortunately, uh, because of the quality. But that was the, the only one I could find. Uh, but, yeah. So on so the postscript to that was um, there's someone that I know you're familiar with that I have recently become, you know, have communicated with and talked with. Uh, Jeff Goodwin, who is a makeup artist. And yes. he actually worked on the Night Flyer. Well, uh, I haven't shared them because I I didn't want to share them without his permission. He sent me high res screenshots of those covers because the images in the covers are 
photos from other make other movies he worked on makeup that he had done for other movies uh and so he sent me these really nice high-res images of some of those covers and so um I, I was in the process of talking with him and trying to get him trying to get something scheduled for next week to talk to him uh about the night flyer talk about his career uh, but that was something I wanted to ask him if I could share those on on Instagram. You know, just do a higher because they're they're much better video quality or picture quality than than what I was able to That's provide. Awesome. That'd be great. I love. Can't wait to see yeah. those. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. There's there's so the other thing the other thing that I thought this is both a um, kudos to the director, but also kudos to the makeup. So in the short story, as in the movie. Dees comes to the airport because he's trying to catch Dwight Renfield. It's a massacre. Renfield has killed everybody in the airport. There's bodies, body parts, blood everywhere. Dees is in shock. He goes into the bathroom to kind of collect himself. He's looking in the mirror when all of a sudden he hears somebody behind him. And he looks and in the reflection of the mirror, he sees basically blood in the urinal because like... Renfield is there taking a leak and it answers this question I've always had. I remember reading the short story. It's like, okay, vampires drink blood, but do they use the bathroom? And if so, do they pee blood? <laughs> and this movie and the short story answers the question, yes. And you actually get to see it. And what's a testament to the special effects is that vampires don't cast a reflection, but when they're peeing in a urinal, you see the blood. Uh, and so I thought it was just a really cool effect that they did. Uh, and again, this yeah, is such, this is such yeah, a yeah. vivid element of the short story because it's it's a very, you know, one of the things King does so well is just tension and, you know, suspense and kind of keeping you on the edge of your seat. And the whole thing about D's going in the bathroom, trying to, you know, splash water in his face and collect himself after witnessing all that gore. And then he realizes somebody's behind him, but he, he's afraid to turn. And he's like, well, whoever's there, they're not showing up in the mirror. And then he sees the blood forming and he hears somebody peeing and he sees the blood forming in the, the toilet and he realizes Renfield's right behind me. And then sure enough, he is. But yeah, that was uh, just a combination, I think, of good directing, good special effects. And of course, you know, Ferrer is, you know, he really sells it uh, in that scene. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so so Pavia, uh you know, the more I was reading about him, I mean, he, he's only done one other movie. He did one, I think, in 2016 called Fender Bender. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's curious because, you know, I don't think this, The Night Flyer is not a perfect movie. And I think for a first time film, like a first time feature film director, it definitely has like, yeah, this is his first film. It's kind of rough, but there were some really great, elements of this movie where it's like he's got a lot of promise like with the right you know script budget producer cast he could really you know make some good stuff i mean i think there was enough good stuff in the night flyer but for whatever reason he really didn't you know things didn't take off uh and so it's kind of curious to me how you know here's somebody who clearly has talent and clearly has the ability not only to manage this kind of you know this low budget film but also according to ferrer ferrer loved working with pavia he said you know in the interview uh, that i posted some segments of on instagram um he talked about how 
for that uh, Pavio was one of the best directors he'd worked with. He was prepared that he was, you know, just very detail oriented and like was just great to work with. And so to me, that's like a huge endorsement when you have an actor of Ferrer's caliber saying Pavi is a really good director. It just still it's like, OK, well, why didn't Pavia do more? You know, and I he he directed that film in 2016, and and I know he's produced some things, but it is just curious to me why. And he also would have done a sequel, um, had that actually come to come to life. Done well, yeah, it happened. Um, but obviously, you know, the actress who played Catherine really had a, a thing as well, since she ended up marrying him. She did. Uh, she did. So, uh, and I, I, I've been hearing conflicting things. I've heard that they're still married, but then I saw somewhere with no, they're divorced now. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I just, I just, just saw like, that. I saw they like got Mark. married, and they got married. They, they were either married right before that, or they were married right after. Because he, he thanks her in, in that movie you mentioned, the Fender Bender. He thanks her in the, in the, in the, mm-hmm. whatever, and you know, yeah. it's, it's the, one of the things. So, yeah. Yeah, so they're together. I mean, either either before this movie or definitely during this movie or after this movie. They're shortly afterwards. They yeah they get together. Sounds a lot a little bit like Howie and and Lee. Um, met, That's you know, right. Kind That's of wonderful. Right. It's like yeah. Well, it happens. It does. The other thing I wanted to mention, and it's just because it's playing on the TV while we're talking, and I didn't I, I did not want to miss talking about it. Is another great sequence in the movie is kind of the hallucination that Dees has after Renfield leaves the airport where all of the dead bodies are coming back as vampires. And what's really cool about it, first, the makeup is amazing. For for a low-budget film, like Nicotero and his team and, and Jeff, like they did such a phenomenal job. But really, the way it's shot in that black and white with the fog and everything it's a really eerie scene and it's really well done. And so again, it's just another example of Pavia knows what he's doing. Like he knows how to, how to, to create something really unsettling. And, you know, yeah, yeah. man, so, I have, if we get to talk to him, I got, I got to ask Jeff about where that was like, where that scene was filmed. It was on studio. I'm sure it was probably the studio, but yeah, I would, I would like to know that's, that's a pretty, cause I, I thought it was pretty, I'm with you. I thought it was really good. So yeah. I mean, some of it's like a really unsettling, especially when the mom has the baby and she's like, do you know what I had to do, Richard? I had to pull it out of me or something like that. It's just like, oh, my God, it's, you know, um, but it's just like. It's so well done. And and like and when I watched it this week again, it just it came back to me like, oh, yeah, I remember this scene was just like just the way it was shot in the black and white and the fog and just. And Ferrer sells it. I mean, he's just, you know, he's basically just witnessing all this unfold. But you can just see it's like, yeah, he's starting to unravel here. He's he's like, everything's coming back to haunt him. Um, but yeah, it was uh, this is a really good sequence. Uh, so I just, just want to make sure I mention that. Um, next segment is called King's Vampires, and so. Basically, I'm not going to read the description here because it's just kind of stupid. But um, King Stephen King is has uh, he definitely has um, a good grasp of vampires and writing stories with vampires in them. 
Uh, Salem's Lot, of course, uh, is probably one of my all-time favorite novels of his, um, right up there with Dead Zone. But uh, love love Salem's Lot. Uh, in fact, speaking of Salem's Lot, there was an announcement. So there were there's been a new movie version of Salem's Lot made, but Warner Brothers has been sitting on it for the longest time. Well, it sounds like it's going directly to Max. It's not even uh, it's not coming out in theaters, which. Hmm is not encouraging because I really hoped it was going to come into theaters, but, um, but I'm just glad it's, it's, it's going to show up because for a while there, there was talk that Warner brothers was going through a thing of like pulling the plug on movies and not releasing them like they did with Batgirl and a couple other movies. And so the worry was that he was going to do, they were going to do the same thing with Salem's lot. Um, the, uh, the guy that plays the David soul role, Ben, uh, is played by uh, Bill Pullman's son, Lewis Pullman, who is a really good actor. I think he'd, he'd be a really good Ben. Uh, so anyway, so King definitely, you know, in addition to Salem's Lot, he wrote the short story one for The Road, which has vampires in it, which was actually the the Halloween treat I did last year. I read that short story for an episode. And then The Night Flyer. So he definitely um, likes writing about vampires. He keeps coming back to them. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. Just King. Loves <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, that's <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I mean, this was a definitely a different take. Yeah. On vampires as a whole, I think, you know, it's yeah. like a different. And like somebody I read something about it sound of it's this is more like a crime drama than a than a vampire movie. You're right. And I agree. It, it doesn't have, you know, but the but there is gore and it definitely, you know, like when it gets into it, it's it's not oh, yeah. it's it's not like, oh, it's just uh, you know, no, it's yeah, it's, it's gory. A vampire movie. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I, I've described it a couple of times when I've written about it this week that and you said like a thriller. I mean, it's, it's really this guy, he, this vampire is a serial killer. I mean, he, he's, he's got an MO he's going around and he's targeting airports and he's targeting the people that work at airports. or the people that are at airports, you know? Um, so yes, he's a vampire and, you know, it, it's definitely that King horror element. Like King is really good at taking kind of real life situations. And then like, well, what if you put a vampire in it? You know, and so I kind of looked at this as this is a serial killer story. This is basically, you know, even though he's a he's a journalist. Dees or Ferrer is kind of like the detective in this story. He's trying to he's chasing down the serial killer and he's trying to catch him. Um, so it definitely it does. It has more of that kind of thriller serial killer pursuit vibe to it than like a traditional vampire story would have like, Oh, it's a vampire. There's a, you know, it lives in a coffin and we have to drive a stake in it. And we have to do, it's like, none of that stuff's in there. It's just, you know, it is, it's, it's a different take. It's like taking the, the vampire genre, if you will, and like mashing it up with a suspense thriller, you know, or a cat and mouse yeah. chase. Um, so what was your take on that, on that older lady? about i want i like to hear what she thought so i'm assuming she was local you know just someone maybe knew her or she knew somebody in the movie they gave her this part you know if when i first saw this movie i was just like she's horrible like she's like she's not even she's just like just weird but watching it again 
I'm kind of like, no, she's she's definitely, you know, it, it needs to be creepy. It needs to be a little unsettling because basically she's been mesmerized by this vampire. Like she clearly has like this, you know, he's awakened something in her where, you know, she goes to the, the beauty salon and gets her hair dyed right. so it's dark. You know, and she's like all like just dreamy kind of like, and she looks at this vampire like lovingly and like puts on her, her white nightgown. And so, but just something about like the woman, just the sight of her just made me think of that meme that's been going around lately. That woman singing like taste the biscuit. And it just all I could think of whenever she, the camera would be on her is that woman singing, you know, taste the biscuit. but um so yeah that that was just the you know it's she's very memorable and especially the fact her husband's being brutally murdered by this vampire and she's like she's like "Ah." (laughs) she's like i'm gonna put my best nightgown on and like she's like i've got a gentleman caller coming to see me right exactly but uh yeah um so the movie just ended. So while we were talking, you know, it just uh, it just wrapped up. Uh, I'm going to let the credits run because I was going to just kind of glance over to see if um, anybody that I worked with, you know, specifically comes jumps out at me. Um, but yeah, this this uh, I, I talked about this a little bit today on Instagram, but I wanted to talk about it here in the episode as well. So apparently, this production went considering everything going on with the hurricane and just, you know, the typical filmmaking issues that you run into. Pavia got this movie done a day sooner than it was supposed to be. He had 30 days. He did it in 29. That's impressive. That's having worked on a film. um, Yeah. I mean, hats off to him for getting it done so quickly, but apparently it was a good experience for the director, for King, for, for the producer, uh, Richard P. Rubenstein, and so there was talk of like let's do a sequel, and King was real excited about the idea of doing a sequel. He um, there was the idea of kind of going delving more into Renfield's like origin story, like what led him to become the Night Flyer, which I feel like at the end of the movie, when you finally see Renfield in his human form, it's almost like they were setting it up that like oh yeah this guy he's not this hideous like huge head vampire with like the weird fangs or whatever he's actually he looks normal uh he can look normal and uh and they had the actor they had playing him as a human uh i don't i think he's one of those actors kind of like john bennis he's like done a lot of stuff locally like in the area both here and like down in atlanta but it definitely felt like they're setting it up for a sequel because in addition to showing him as a human finally at the end they really set it up that Catherine, now that Dees is dead, Catherine is like stepping into his position of being kind of the new yeah. journalist for Inside you View. You lose these. Yeah. And so the idea of this, this uh, the research that I did showed that um, the idea that they had was that it was going to pick up where the first one left off and Catherine was going to be the one pursuing uh, Renfield now, but she was pursuing it a little differently and in her pursuit, she basically unfolds like Renfield's story and like how he became to be a vampire, what led him to do the things that he does. 
And so apparently this, like, I don't know if Pavia wrote a draft of the script or he just put something together, but whatever it was, King loved it and came on board to co-write the script with Pavia. But then for whatever reason, maybe the, the lackluster performance or the studios were getting cold feet at the time. Um, you know, even though this movie was shot on a low budget and, but I think the, the, the reception kind of scared the studio off. And so it, it died before it ever went anywhere. Um, so I don't know. It would have been cool to see a sequel to it. Um, and I definitely think as we sometimes talk about these movies, uh, I could totally see them doing uh, a reboot of this movie, doing a remake of it uh, or, yeah, do, or doing a I'm, sequel I'm now, you know, or even doing a sequel now, I think would be, you know, just as fine as well. Um, now, you know, that Renfield, the actor who played Renfield was in RoboCop three. Yes. So, so that that brings the connection between uh, with Miguel Ferrer. Yep. Uh, yeah. So they Although were, Ferrer they, was just in were, the first one, right? He was in the first one. He was only the first one, not not a third. But yeah, still, right. he got killed off. The first one, he's the third. Yeah, that's right. Red killed him off in uh, in the first one. He like put a bomb or put a grenade in his house or something. So yeah, that was. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you know a sequel would be interesting or a remake. Um, you know, I think at this point it's the remake. Do a remake. I, I don't. Yeah. You know, it's like if I don't, I just don't. Who would you cast like, in the uh, the D's role? Uh, I did read that supposedly it was supposed to be like a kind of like receding hairline in his forties is kind of yep. the way. Yep, is described. You know, in the in the thing, I'm, I'm trying to. You know who would be good, and this may be this may be this may be a little far fetched, but that you know the actor who plays Dwight on The Office, Rain Wilson, Rain Wilson. I, I think, think that would be get, an excellent. Oh, dude, that is excellent casting idea. I mean, I like the. I mean, not that he looks like Miguel. I mean. I mean, I mean, they really don't, but no, not at all. But, but, but there's something unique about his look. And I think it, you know, and obviously he can be something other than, than, you know, his office character. And, and, and I think he's a pretty good actor. People oh, yeah. just think of him as just, just that. Uh, but I've seen him in other stuff. He, he yeah. did a TV show after the office. Unfortunately, it only had one season. It was on Fox. It was called Backstrom. He played a detective in Seattle or Portland. And um, very anti, like a lot of things in that character. I totally could see him playing Richard D's. Totally. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, I just think, yeah, I really, that's, that's, he, he just, I don't know, for, I don't know, for some reason he came to mind. I don't know why, but that's, I think that's, I think it's a genius idea. Yeah. They did a remake. I would love to see him play it. Um, when I was thinking about it initially, and Jim, and Jim could play, could play <laughs> the, the, the Night Flyer. <laughs> well, when I was first thinking about like a remake and recasting, um, my, I, I like this actor a lot and I think he could totally do it, but I think 
your casting idea trumps it. I think Rain Wilson would be a perfect choice. But my hey, idea- how about this? The whole the whole office cast is it's like so you have Michael Scott is the is the is the is plays the the the, the editor of the paper. We got Pam is going to be she'll be the she'll be that she'll be the girl the, the girl reporter. You got Jim will be the night flyer. We have Rain. That would be. Oh my gosh! It's like it's like a, a bringing these all these people back together. Well, since they don't appear to be doing a, an office reboot or, or you know, right. reunion, maybe so. Well, no. my, my idea, my casting idea for uh, D's for a remake, uh, I thought of J.K. Simmons it was my my first thought, just because he's such a great actor, and I could. Oh, see he's him. a great actor. Oh yeah, I could see him, and you know. I mean, he is older. I mean, he's like currently he's like in his late sixties, which may be a little too old for D's. Because I but he's like fit he's, though, dude. The dude's he is, jacked. He is, but he's such a terrific actor. I mean, he just he's he's good in everything he does. Um, but I almost kind of think, well, I could kind of see him in the role of the editor, but I would beef up the editor role. I wouldn't do like the with with Dan. And this is no slam on Dan, but I just feel like that part wasn't written that well. Um, and I don't feel like it really, they didn't do a lot with him. And he just kind of was a catalyst. But I kind of see, you know, you could have some a really good actor in that role, beef it up a little bit and really work on the relationship. And I could see Simmons and, and Rain Wilson really bouncing off each other really well. I got another one for you that I just thought of. And you know, I think you're going to love it. Walton Goggins. Oh, would he not be a great? Ah, now there, now he brings already brings that like he can bring that. I mean, because like I mean, I mean like this movie. There's a lot of cuss in this movie. There's a lot of mm-hmm. language, and then there's a lot of gore of, in certain parts. Dude, He's the right age. He He's he right. won't be a he won't be afraid of any of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He can bring that nastiness when he needs to be. He can mm-hmm. be. He can do. You know, he could. Man, you're, you're absolutely you hit it again, man. I'm telling you, that's another one who could. Walton would be good. Walton would be. Well, wait, it's it's. I don't know. It's something about you talking about talking about the what's J.K. Did you say J.K. J.K. Simmons? Yeah, you when you mentioned him, I don't know something about. I don't know why I thought him, but something about that just kind of like. I don't know. Yeah. It just. It just. Yeah, those yeah, are good, did, man. Those are. You missed, that, you missed your be, calling. You should have been a casting director. A location manager and now a casting casting person as well. All right, people, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, Garrett was <laughs> Garrett will come work in in Wilmington, Atlanta. You know, I'll come. I'll go. <laughs> I don't want to go to California. Sorry, I don't. You know, but I'll come work just temporarily, do some movies for you, and then I'll come back. I'll be like Heather Haas, who who does who does location stuff and. But she but but she lives in South Carolina most of the time and then does her work and then comes back home and goes back comes back home. Yeah. Yeah. Be like her. So for um the last segment as we wrap this up, uh it's called Closing Thoughts. I'm gonna read this one to you. You gotta hear this description. Okay. This is courtesy of Chat GPT, based on what I fed into it about the movie, the podcast, you and me, all that. This is what it says. Summarize with a dash of humor and maybe some nightmare fuel for the audience, like a jet-powered vampire surfboard. (laughs) Keep it mysterious. 
Discuss like a hoverboard. Steve, oh, sorry. <laughs> discuss Stephen King's thoughts on the film. Any hidden Easter eggs? We've already talked about those, uh, or behind the scenes trivia. We've kind of talked about that. Here's the last statement: What would a vampire journalist write about the movie? So, <laughs> as experiments go with with AI, I mean, there's some things it does that are impressive, but then there are some things where it's just like it's just spitting stuff out. It's not even. Uh, I mean, it's getting better. I mean, AI is definitely improving at stuff like this, but um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't even know what to say about a jet-powered vampire surfboard. <laughs> it's like if if we're gonna do, a, if there's gonna be a sequel to the Night Flyer, I don't think surfboards should should be involved. No, no hoverboards, no, um... <laughs> no hoverboards, no surfboards, no. But yeah, a jet powered like what is a jet powered vampire surfboard like? I don't I'm just I, think I don't. Teen, think think Teen Wolf on a surfboard and he's with a jetpack on and he's flying around. You know, I guess that's it. Maybe it should know. be a jet powered werewolf surfboard. There we go. We we'll yep. just swap it out with the werewolf. Well, you know, one thing that was cool when I mean, this time about about like a. Uh, Easter egg thing that that we I don't think we mentioned here on this, but but when the but when the guys at the the guy we we're talking about earlier, the old dude, and he's talking mm-hmm. about um he goes he flew in from Derry, and I thought that you know I was like you know obviously you know we everybody thinks Pennywise when you when you hear Derry that's yep. but that's that was kind of like ooh there's a that was a good one and good I was point. like good point. You know, and and that's something I would like to see in any future King adaptations, adapt, adaptations. Thank you, uh, or any kind of work that in in TV or movies is to see more. I mean, I I think everybody has got into the whole Marvel Easter egg things and whatever they you know whatever. But I would love to see more of them making cross references either 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 through mentioning kind of kind of like they did here, or even bringing a character. From from this from the King verse mm-hmm. multiverse into like into a current you know like to a current movie or TV show and yeah. have somebody make a make a cameo appearance that would be awesome to me that would be yeah the, the ultimate well there's um there is so I was thinking about you know when I was doing research for the for the episode this week and was reminded that the character of Richard Dees was in the Dead Zone. That got me thinking, of course, about Sheriff Bannerman, who was a character that showed up in several things. But then I was reminded of another sheriff that King used in a few stories. And that's basically Bannerman's predecessor, not predecessor, but I think successor. I think he was the sheriff after Bannerman, guy guy by the name of Alan Pangborn. And so Sheriff Pangborn was in uh, The Dark Half, which was made into a movie with uh, Timothy Hutton. Uh, George Romero directed it. Um, he was in uh, Needful Things. I think he was played by Ed Harris in that one. Um, in in the Dark Half, I think he was played by uh, oh, what's his name? I'm just blanking on it. He plays Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy. Michael um, Michael Rooker. Rooker, is that right? Yes. Michael Rooker. Yeah, I think it is. He'd be a good one as well, and that's another good one. Yeah, like yeah. him. Michael is. Uh, Great actor. But yeah, he plays Pangborn in the movie version of The Dark Half. Uh, but anyway, I think that character, Pangborn, would be an interesting character to kind of bring from the King universe uh, if you were, you know, doing a sequel to 
the night flyer or you know I don't know. Just it's I, I do like it when King does that when he brings characters from other stories just to kind of I mean he was doing this kind of before anybody else was in terms of like creating this kind of shared universe where his stories weren't just self-contained that they were part of kind of you know King Stephen King's main um you know the state of Maine where he'd have you know yeah. rock and dairy you know, he made up all these places, but they were clearly based on like where he grew up and where he lived and and so forth. And um, just having these characters recur um, was always interesting to me uh, long before Marvel was doing it, um, you know, but uh, but yeah, very impressive. Um, there was one other thing that I, I forgot to mention. So we were talking about the uh, Easter eggs that were in the, the magazine covers on the wall that Catherine's looking at. Um, there's also when Catherine shows up at the bar where Dee's is drinking, um, he's talking to her about some of the stories um, that he's covered in the past or whatever. He mentions there's a story about a school teacher um, who murdered uh, her students because she thought they were trying to kill her. And that's actually uh, a story, I forget the name of it, but it's a story that's in the short story collection, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is where the Night Flyer is also found, um, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So yeah, so it's like, there's a lot of Stephen King Easter eggs in this. And, uh, you know, to me that just, I, I, sometimes people do it just to be cute. Um, but I think this just, to me, I took this as, this is a production where they clearly love Stephen King. They love his work and they, you know, they're tapping into that thing of it's all connected. Right. Uh, which I wonder if that is Pavia being a Stephen King fan, or if that's Stephen King kind of exerting some sort of influence since, you know, he'd have to give approval on the movie. And I don't think he was like necessarily like, I don't think he was in the credits as a, producer or anything like that but I'd, I'd have to go back and check so glad we got to cover this this one um it was it was fun rediscovering it after so many years that was the night flyer that was the night flyer <laughs> <laughs>